0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to ask you straight away, first thing this morning, to do something. I want you to dig into your memories and see if you, can, if you can recall the very first time you were seriously worried about something. I mean, there's one memory that stands out clear for me. It was a period when my family moved to a new town, And because of that, I was forced to change schools in the middle of the year, in sixth grade. And I moved from one of the most loving, nurturing environments you could ever find in a school system to a school that was the worst. At least, that was my perception as an emotionally in touch and extremely intelligent 12-year-old. Upon arriving at the school, one of the first things that happened to me is I got introduced to the school bully. His name was Frank Bishop. And Frank was one of those incredible specimens. At 12 years old, he stood a foot and a half taller than every other boy in the school. He had the body mass of a 25-year-old weightlifter. And at 12, he was already shaving, which terrified us more than anything else. And Frank let me know on a regular basis, almost daily, that he intended at some point to do me physical harm. He was going to beat me up when nobody could see it and I should just be waiting for it. I was terrified. I worried every day that this was going to happen. I'm still worried about Frank Bishop. So much so that I'm not even using his real name in this story. <laughs> because I'm afraid somehow he'll get connected to our podcast. He'll hear this message. He'll know where I live, and he'll fulfill the promises he made to me in 1972. <laughs> you got any worries? <laughs> Fortunately, most of our worries are not confined to middle school, though that may be the point where we first perfect them. Some of us worry more than others, even though we all worry. The Human Genome Project has actually seen worry as enough of a problem in our lives that they have done research and they have pinned down the fact that there is one chromosome in our body that is linked to worry. One chromosome. And if you have the longer version of that chromosome, then you are genetically predisposed to worry more than anyone else. Now, if this morning... With that news, you've already begun to wonder, do I have that chromosome, and it's starting to worry you? (laughs) Odds are pretty good. You've got it. We all worry. Every one of us. Even people who responded to my question on Facebook this week, initially by saying, I don't worry, went on to say, except for these one or two things. Except in these areas of my life. Young and old, we all worry. We worry about our future. We worry about our finances. We worry about our health and the health of people we love. We worry about the decisions that we make as parents, whether our kids are 2 or 32. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our country. We worry about the violence that seems to be growing in this world. And here's the problem with worry. It's destructive. Worry is a stream that trickles through our mind. And if it's encouraged, it will carve a channel into which all our thoughts flow. So I'm convinced that the life that Jesus invites us into is vastly different than our life would be if he were not a part of it. And that includes this whole idea of worry. Paul writes in Philippians 4, and he says, don't worry about anything. But simply saying that doesn't solve the problem of worry for us, does it? In fact, you know, if you say that to somebody who worries, all it's going to do is heap shame and guilt on them. It's not going to solve the problem. It's like telling an insomniac, all you need to do is go to sleep. It's just not helpful. And I'm so grateful that Paul doesn't stop with those four words. He gives us a roadmap for eliminating worry from our lives. And if you understand Paul's life journey, then you know that he's speaking from personal experience. There was a lot of stuff that went on in Paul's life that he could have worried about. He abandoned a life of wealth and power and prestige to follow God's leading in his life. Highly educated, trained to be a part of the religious aristocracy, Paul adopted the life of a traveling teacher. In order to support himself, he did common labor. He made tents and sold them to support himself in ministry. He sold them down by the river where people gathered just to wash their clothes. He did all this so that he could teach people about God's love and grace. And his new life as a teacher was no bed of roses. In fact... He was repeatedly, he tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, I was repeatedly beaten by government officials. I was exposed to death again and again, simply for talking about Jesus. And it wasn't just the government officials who beat him, the religious leaders, the people who used to be his friends, used to be his peers, now would have him beaten. And he says he was beaten several times by them. And there were a lot of people who didn't even survive those beatings. He shouldn't have by how they treated him. And then he traveled? (laughs) His travel exposed him to shipwrecks and pirates and bandits. He said he spent one whole night floating in the ocean, waiting to be rescued from a shipwreck. For Paul, travel was more dangerous than flying with United Airlines. Let's be honest. If anybody had stuff going on in his life that qualified him to worry, it was Paul. Now, if somebody told me that every time I got up here and teached, teached, taught. (laughs) Don't shame me. (laughs) Uh, Every time I got up here and taught, I'd be beaten. I'd probably quit teaching. If they said every time I traveled, I was going to be risking death, I'd probably just stay home. And if I still traveled and taught, or teached, if you like that word, I'd still worry because I knew that that was a potential in my life, that I was going to be hurt or die. And if that's not enough for Paul, he's writing these very words from a dank, dark prison cell where he's been illegally seized and imprisoned simply for talking about Jesus. So I think Paul's eminently qualified to talk to us about worry, right? And how to let go of this worry habit. He is worth listening to when he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, just pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Paul doesn't mess around. He gets right into the heart of what causes our worry. As we follow God in our lives, things are not guaranteed that they'll go smoothly. In fact, Jesus says just the opposite. He says, look, in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have headaches. You're going to have hardships. You're going to have difficulties. And some of them are just because that's the way life goes. But some of them will be specifically because you're choosing to live a life of faith. So don't pretend something weird's going on in your life when tough stuff happens. It's normal. And Paul says, really? When trouble comes, we're faced with this really difficult, important choice. Are we going to worry or are we going to trust in God? When we worry... It focuses all of our energy on what's wrong in life, what's unfair or unjust in our life. And the more helpless we feel in any given situation, the more deeply worry embeds itself into our everyday life. Worry just seems to scream at us, you've got to do something, you've got to figure this out, you have to take control of the situation. Because nobody else will. Paul says take a different approach. And look at every worrisome event in your life as an opportunity to pray. A prayer that says, I can't possibly do this without God, so I'm going to trust him. A prayer that allows us to talk to the God who loves us more than we can ever understand in this life. And talk to him about everything. When I'm anxious in relationships, when I'm worried about my work, talk to Him about my insecurity, about my looks, my habits, my addictions. Talk to God when I have regrets or doubts about my past. Talk to Him when I'm worried about my future or even just tomorrow. I will trust God, that kind of a prayer. I will trust God enough to bring it to Him and to invite Him into the jumbled mess of my life and just talk to Him about what I need. See, and I think that's where we sometimes get tripped up with prayer in those worrisome situations in life. We feel like we have to actually figure out a solution to what's facing us. We have to sit down and, and figure out this is the right place and this is how I get there. And then we pray and say, God, here's my plan. Bless my plan. And that's so contrary to what Scripture teaches. If we want to drop the worry habit, the first step is just to tell God what we need as best we understand it. And sometimes that's just admitting we're covered in fear and confusion. And sometimes there's anger in there too. We just pour that all out to Him with our worries about what could happen. We pray and we get really honest with God about the fears behind our worry and surrender it all. Now that... What I'm about to say may sound a little odd to you, but there are days that I really am not fond of my role teaching here at Westridge. Thursday was one of those days. Here's why. Wednesday night, I was driving a car in a parking lot. Someone, while I was backing out, ended up in my blind spot, my fault, and I backed into the side of their car. I hit a sweet Kind, wonderful 78 year old disabled man in a parking lot. I felt horrible. Thursday morning, Thursday morning, I had planned to write this message for you and for me. I had not planned on Thursday morning to talk to three different insurance agents, two adjusters. And invest hours in that. I had not planned to hear from them that I'm not covered for this accident. Yeah, thank you. I hear that. That wasn't in my plans for the day. And it's too long to explain why. Uh, I won't bore you with it. But the longer the morning went, the more my worries piled up. God, i got to finish this message. I have to do this on Sunday morning. I can't just stand up and say, hey, I had an accident and have a good day, go home. Right? I got to do this, but what happens if I end up owing four or five thousand dollars out of pocket to fix this dude's car? Uh, Should I call my agent again? Should I try to work out an action plan? Should I call Connie and let her know? (laughs) That may have been the biggest worry in that. Or should I just try to forget it all and write my talk? I was worried sick and at some point late morning early afternoon the irony of that all started to settle in and so I stopped and prayed well all right I stopped I felt foolish and then I prayed I didn't have all the answers at that point I don't have the answers right now as to what's going to happen But every time I've been tempted to worry since Thursday morning about that accident and what's going to happen, I pray. I take it as an invitation to talk with God about it. I lay it all in front of Him and I'm trusting Him no matter what the outcome that He's got it sorted out for my good. Now, praying like that doesn't mean that we check out of the situation, that we abdicate responsibility, that we just become really passive or we become a doormat and let people walk all over us. It just means that we let go of the outcome we don't have to control it and we can't control it we simply talk to god and tell him our needs as best we understand them paul goes on to say in the middle of that telling him your needs in the middle of the chaos that is our life when we worry we should also take time to thank him Thank him and remember everything that he's done for us. Paul uses this really cool word in Greek for thanking God. The word is eucharistas, Eucharist. Does that sound familiar? Literally what Paul is saying here, when you are worried, tell God what you need and commune with God in a spirit of gratitude. few weeks ago our community group was in a study that required us suggested to us that we create a gratitude journal take some time every day and write down the things in this life that you appreciate the things that god has done for you just to remind you of his goodness and his love i would encourage you to do that and you can start small the book suggested, just start by making 10 things on the list and get past the, I love my family, I'm grateful for them most of the time. I love my friends, I'm grateful for them some of the time. Get past all that, right? Start thinking deeper. And it doesn't mean big. I'm grateful. I wrote in my journal for sunsets, for waves in the ocean, for being able to go up on a 10,000 foot mountain that looked stark and gray, and finding that it's covered with his fingerprints and spring flowers are all over the hillside. I'm grateful for the smell of that first cup of coffee on a cold morning. Grateful for a sunny afternoon nap. Don't start early. I love the laughter of my grandchildren. The first winter Snow. Christmas morning, a warm bath towel, curvy roads, and a motorcycle that can handle them. And I am grateful, most of all, for God's ultimate proof that he loves me deeply. Bacon. (laughs) Don't shame me. Making a gratitude list is a simple and powerful exercise. It helps us see the depth of God's goodness in our life that is there every single day, even when we're not aware of it. It opens our eyes to how much He truly loves us. And the marriage of those two things, of authentic, honest conversation with God and gratitude gives us a huge attitude adjustment. In that moment, it becomes so much easier to trust God, even in the awful moments, because we know He's for us, not against us. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. And then God will cause all of your problems to work out to the best possible scenario. God will remove any negative consequences from your life. God will fix all of your broken relationships. That's what I'd love to see in this verse. (laughs) It's not what Paul says then you will experience the peace of God, which exceeds anything we can understand. Our hearts gasp for peace when they're being choked by worry. I immediately, when I think about that peace that's beyond understanding, I think of Jesus with his 12 disciples in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the stories in the Gospels. And it it describes this deep peace that Jesus had They were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and there was this massive storm that came up out of nowhere. And if you've ever been on a large body of water when a storm breaks out, it is not a fun experience. I would dare say all of us would be worried in that circumstance, fearing for our life. When this storm comes up, all of Jesus' disciples, the Bible tells us, were scared to death including the four of them who were seasoned fishermen, been on that lake all their life. And where was Jesus? He was sound asleep in the front of the boat, being beaten by the waves as the boat bounced. He was out cold. In that moment, Jesus had this absolute trust in God's love for him. He had a peace that the disciples didn't understand in the moment, and even when this whole thing was over and they were safe on the shore, they still didn't understand it. It left them questioning, what kind of a man is this Jesus really? That he has this much trust in God and this much peace in his life. Our heart hungers for that peace. When the doctor says it's cancer, when our once stable job vanishes in midair, when the debts pile up and the checkbook is empty, when a friend betrays us. Our heart hungers for peace even as it fills with worry. And the Bible tells us that those honest, authentic prayers coupled with gratitude are the key to finding God's peace that will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. I love the last half of that last verse as Paul wraps up, partly because it gives us something to do. It explains what we should do when we're worried. It explains some stuff that helps the control freak in me. All we need to do is continue to live in Jesus. Not simply sit back and be a victim, but take action where we can. Do what God is leading us to do. And as we do, Paul says... God's peace will guard our emotions and our thoughts so they don't run out of control. My son, Chris, uh, struggled with math when he was in middle school. Pretty good struggle there, too. And that made homework really challenging every night. We would experience some long evenings, some difficult, frustrating conversations as he was trying to do his homework And he always had two go-to solutions when it got really, really frustrating. The first was, he would look at me and say, you know the answer. I know you know the answer. Why don't you just tell me? I avoided that as much as I could. And when I didn't tell him the answer, I have no idea why they do this. But the writers of this math textbook put the answers in the back of the book. And he would catch me distracted and try to look in the back of the book and find the answer that as much as I could too. Because ultimately the goal for Chris was not to get the answer right. That's part of it. The ultimate goal is for him to figure out how to work the problem through. And I told him in those frustrating moments I said look I'm not going anywhere I'll stay up with you as long as it takes we'll work this through. Just calm down. Tell me what you need, and trust me, we'll get through this. I think that's at the core of the promise God is making to us in this passage. Don't worry. Talk to me. Tell me what you need. Remember the goodness I bring to your life. We'll get through this it is so easy for us in life to get anxious and to want God to just give us the answer now. Solve the problem for us or at least tell me the page I can look to in his book to find the answer, right? And all the while, God's just saying, calm down. Tell me what you need, trust me. I'm going to stay with you. It's a good chance that there are a lot of us in the room Even those of us who don't have that longer chromosome who are worrying about something today. We need to trust God. We need to pray those really honest prayers, simple prayers, and we need to see God's goodness at work in our life to help us trust. So I want to pray for us as we close this morning. It's a prayer that I've prayed every time I've been tempted to worry about that accident this week. I've been praying this prayer in some shape or fashion to God. And I want to pray it for you and for me this morning. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we just come to you right now to confess that we can't figure out this problem we're facing in our life. And you know that. And it seems like we're facing something that makes us feel small and incapable. I don't have enough time. I don't have the resources to get it all done and to figure it out. And so I'm coming to you, Jesus. Humbly and laying all my anxieties at your feet because I know you care for me. I can't control the situation. I can't determine how it's all going to work out, but this one thing I know, I'm tired of worrying about it. So please show me your goodness and grace in my life so that my trust grows stronger and my worries fade Bring your peace into my heart and my mind. Help me to trust you, God, even if it's just for today. Help me to trust you and follow you wherever you lead.